Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Have I Got Moves For You, the dairy podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian and CMEX. I'm Farmers Guardian editor Ben Briggs, and in this podcast we're striving to shine a spotlight on the people who make the dairy industry tick. So make sure you subscribe to the pod via your favourite podcast provider. In this episode, I speak to Tracy Roan, one of the driving forces behind Roan's Dairy, which is based near Dalbiti in Dumfries and Galloway in southwest Scotland. Farming with husband Stephen and her brother and sister-in-law in a family farming partnership, they run a Holstein herd and also a producer processing plant, which sees them deliver milk to more than 3,000 customers, both doorstep and wholesale delivery. But not one to sit still, Tracy is also the founder of the Dumfries and Galloway Dairy Women's Network, and the family also appeared on the hit BBC2 show, This Farming Life. Here she talks to me about how lockdown has provided a huge boost to doorstep milk sales, has helped with work-life balance for many, and how the Women in Dairy group has seen a surge in interest since it was launched. CMEX is committed to delivering genetics for life in a world that demands compassionate sustainability. With health at the forefront of our innovation genetic solutions, CMEX's pledge to positively impacting profit on the dairy farm is unwavering. As all shows and farm visits are cancelled this year due to COVID-19, it is more important than ever that our industry continues to communicate and share experiences. To find out more about CMEX, visit www.cmex.co.uk. Hi Tracy and welcome to Have I Got Moves For You, the podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian and CMEX. Now, I realise that you're a farming ambassador TV star as well, <laughs> but I was wondering if you could just give listeners to the podcast a, a taste of the um, what Roan's Dairy is about, the farm that you run, and a bit about your background as well. God, they, they put the pressure on me saying I'm an ambassador. What a, what a title! And I'm definitely not a, a TV star because I'm I am not living the life of a TV star. Believe me. So yeah, the setup we have here is um, we have the two family farms here, myself and my husband Stephen, along with uh, our two kids, um, Andrew, who's 11, and Lucy, who is 9. We farm here at Borland of Colvend. At the moment, we're, there's about 225 cows going through the parlour. We've got about 500 acres here, which is a mix of owned and rented land. We have about 300 followers. We sell about 50 fresh calf heifers every year, whole year round calfing graze day and night during the summer and um, twice a day milking and the cows are averaging just under 10,000 litres. The other family farm is just three miles up the road and that's where my brother-in-law Stuart and his wife Aylett are with their family Fergus and Fraser and my mother and father-in-law. At Bambaric that's where um, Rowan's Dairy is actually based. So yeah, it's the two farms, but we kind of work together as a team, um, very much kind of shared machinery and staff and uh, all one big happy family. Rowan's Dairy was started about five years ago now, and it um, it was an idea that my brother-in-law always had was to sell milk direct. It was a real passion of his because he always felt, you know, we were never getting a fair price for this quality product that we produced. And uh, this idea had been burning away for a long time, and but I think he just needed two good women to come on board and get this project going. So his wife Aylett, my sister-in-law, and myself, 
said, do you know what? I think you're onto something. We'll give you a hand. Not quite expecting what this hand would actually involve because it kind of grew quite quick. So we did a lot of kind of research and looked into things and um, my brother-in-law, I think, probably thought that you would just maybe put a picture of a cow in a milk bottle and it would sell. And me and my sister were like, no, we've been on Pinterest, we go to the supermarket, we know what people want. You can't just do that, it needs to be bigger and better. So, kind of sitting around the kitchen table and looking through things and um, we spoke to a kind of web designer and kind of sold our story, look, this is what we're thinking about. And then lo and behold, we got this pink udder logo and we just thought, you know, that that's going to stay with us. And it just kind of grew and yeah, we decided let's start and it just went from there. And they probably haven't stopped since because from doing that, we just, you know, doors just seemed to open. It just kind of started kind of more opportunities kept coming along and it just got busier and, and busier. And initially we were just supplying to trade customers. You know, we just thought, like, we'll sell to, like, hotels, cafes and tea rooms, but trying to sell milk to, like, trade customers, like, trying to sell, like, ice to the Eskimos because we were competing against, like, you know, your um, wholesalers, like, Cash and Carry, who would sell milk dead cheap, like, two litres for 89 pence, and we were like, you know, we couldn't compete at that. So that's when we said, right, we need to go to doorsteps. So we started canvassing. And that was really hard as well because, um, you know, you were going out yourself as the farmer, your name on a bottle of milk saying, oh, we're just down the road three miles, you know, this is where the milk came. You've got a fancy signing up, you know, and we like gave out freebies and there just wasn't an uptake and it got really quite disheartening because you're like, well, what's wrong with the milk? So it was quite a hard kind of culture change to get people on board. And um, yeah, it just kind of ticked over and then we realised we couldn't sell it ourselves. We got a team of canvassers in to help us. We kind of had the gift of the gab selling because like, we farmers, like we know our product, we know what we do, but we're not sellers, if you know what I mean. We can't, it's really difficult to sell direct and like we all have like different strengths and weaknesses and I have to admit like maybe one of our weaknesses was not being able to sell ourselves properly. So we got some, a good really team came in down from Glasgow who could like, yeah, just sell sand to the Arabs. They just had the gift of the gab. They just knew what they were doing. And um, yeah, and it just, you know, slowly started building up our customer base. And then a milkshake bar came along, which was another idea. So yeah, it's just, uh, sometimes it's quite difficult to come up for breath actually. <laughs> And how many uh, how many doorstep customers do you have now then? Roughly before lockdown, we're about fifteen hundred doorstep customers. You know, it wasn't, you know, it was it was enough, but you know, we wanted to grow. That you know, that was our aim. You want to grow the business, and then when Boris announced lockdown, that was it. It just went manic. Our phones didn't stop. I mean, I I'm not the office based. I'm, I'm kind of, I, I probably get the best deal of working on Wednesday because I do all the social media. Well, I, I try to do the social media on web. I, I have an attempt at it. So I wasn't kind of in the office, but uh, I was quickly drafted into the office. And, um, you know, we were sitting at night, still answering phones at 10 o'clock at night. We only had like one phone line coming in that office. And that one phone line was like for payments as well. So we quickly had to get, you know, more mobiles in to kind of flow because people were like messaging. So we can't get through, your phone line's engaged. And it was just manic for like maybe three or four weeks. It was just constant. And it, it kind of got to the point where I was like, 
we're going to have to close the books. We're going to have to stop. We can't. We need to come up for breath because we're taking on all these customers and the drivers. We're not having to learn new routes and go places they hadn't been. And we're like, oh God, we have to stop. We have to stop. But we didn't stop because there's this point of like, this is our chance. We're going through a pandemic. It wasn't great, you know, but this is our chance to really get the business going. And um, we thought, right, let's, you know, what are what's the community needing? Right, toilet paper. We're running out of toilet So we bought in toilet paper. <laughs> we bought in potatoes and started putting that on the doorsteps. So here's our poor drivers, like, putting out milk, fresh orange juice, yogurts, <laughs> tatties and toilet roll. Um, so, you know, it, as much as it was awful going through the pandemic and what was going on, it was an opportunity we couldn't miss. So we didn't close our books, like what the bigger supermarkets closed their online delivery. We said, no, we're open, we'll, we'll get to you, just bear with us. And, you know, people have been really, really supportive. And we've had some really loyal customers who have seen us through and, like, thanked us for what we've done. And I think, you know, without the team of our drivers and getting some extra office staff in, I don't think we would have done it. But, yeah, it was uh, quite a big learning curve and quite a lot of hours. And, it yeah, it it was, I was going to say it was fun. Looking back now, I can probably smile and say, yeah, it was interesting. So basically, yeah, the space of three or four weeks, our customer base doubled. We lost all our trade customers because all the cafes and tea rooms and hotels closed. And that was a blow. But then it meant we could focus on the doorsteps and it, it doubled. It basically has doubled. I think, you know, we're maybe three and a half thousand doorstep customers. And now we've got our trade customers to come back on. We hope they'll come back on. They're, well, they're slowly starting to come back on now because they're starting to open this week. So yeah, it's um, been interesting times, but what we have now is is retaining those customers we got. And that's what we're seeing as a kind of sliding slope of people going back to their own ways. You know, and we kind of joke that, you know, you know your, milk, your, your milkman or your dairy woman, your, you know, your, your milk per se, we were here before the pandemic, we were here afterwards, you know, we're not just here during a crisis. And it's just trying to get people to realise, like, you know, continue to support us because, you know, we put two new vans on, we, we created more jobs. And, yeah, it, it, it kind of worries us, you know, they are going to go back their own ways. But we can expect that. But just how much they are, who knows? It's interesting where my mum delivers in Blackburn, which you've got, which are big towns, some low income, and they're on particularly low income areas. And I think what you what you see is that, over the past 60 years of, of them doing it, and, and my grandparents before that, whenever that once the supermarkets came in, once the supermarkets start dropping the milk price and using it as a loss leader, then it starts hurting those traditional milkmen and women. And I think that, like you say, there's been this resurgence, especially on the back of the David Attenborough craze of a couple of years ago. But th- those businesses have always been there. It's just people have come to reappreciate them. But they're often on a knife edge as, as as you allude to and and you could she she's starting to see that as well which is people slowly going back to where they got it from beforehand i suppose as as a family because it's our name on that milk bottle you know it, it you do take it personally that you know they're dropping it'd be nice to have grown at a slightly slower pace than, than within four three weeks three or four weeks where you've done things slightly different but yeah who knows? I think the coronavirus has maybe made people realise what their local producers do and maybe appreciate us a bit more that, you know, your local butchers, 
you know, could do deliveries, we can do deliveries, you know, maybe they will or have appreciated us. So yeah, we'll see what happens, see what happens. And do you think that, I mean, we were discussing before we, we started recording about uh, how technology has changed all our lives, really. And I mean, the, the leap that has been made during lockdown, I mean, we're having this call via Google Hangouts and, you know, it, is, it has changed how people communicate, but also how people shop as well. I mean, do you think that there's a real opportunity for agriculture to retain some of that that positive branding and that positive image that it's been able to acquire during the during the lockdown? God, I, yeah, totally. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing we're probably not good at as farmers is selling ourselves and telling our story. So if this is an opportunity to really shine a light on what we do, we have to embrace it. We have to take this opportunity to do this. And from a woman in farming and having wearing many different hats, <laughs> I have found you know this technology brilliant it's great for my work-life balance being able to use this technology because I'm based at home I've got the kids at home you know I've had to do homeschooling I'm not having to like jump in the car and do an hour's drive to a meeting and be away a great example this was just yesterday no one else was on the farm but I had a cow calf in you know I was still here but I could still do my meetings still do my work I was a little bit late from a zoom meeting but the cow had dead twins so it was okay it was a good it was a good ending I'm really embracing it. I am missing the face-to-face. Don't get me wrong. I mean, any excuse to get off the farm, you know, I took it sometimes. But this is a great way of be able to kind of do what I want to do and still be productive and still be here. It's a juggling act. Not everybody can do it. Depends on your setup at home. But I, as a woman in working and wearing many hats, I am totally embracing this technology. It, it probably is something I think a lot of businesses like offices all decide that more people can work from home and they'll reduce their costs. You know, for travel expenses, I think this could be the way forward for some. It might not suit all. It does encroach on some people's work-life balance. <laughs> you have to watch where your camera is if somebody walks in. I think it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic and we're having those discussions at, at Farmer's Guardian, which was before you kind of had to, you almost had to apply to be given the permission to have flexibility around your work. Whereas I think there will be a new generation of people come through who expect flexibility. Now, for me as a manager, that, that obviously presents certain challenges. But for me as a, a dad of two young kids as well, it's been a fantastic time. I mean, I don't know whether my wife agrees with me, but it has been fantastic to, you know, we've got a little lad, George, who's five months old, and to spend more time with him and see him grow and and also spend time with my three-year-old more than I would have been able to do before. It has definitely been one of the, the huge advantages to come out of it. Now, that is the kind of statement my dad would never have made, but I think, you know, things move on and things move forward and we've got to work with it as an industry and as a as a kind of corporate sector as well. Definitely. No, I think it'll open up more opportunities. It might help, you know, get more people to into work, you know, to be able to work from home that maybe they thought they, they couldn't have the opportunities because they were tied to the, you know, to the farm. But this makes it more accessible to all. It depends what your setup is into and what you're wanting out of it. But it, it so far it works for me sometimes when your broadband works. <laughs> 
<laughs> and on the uh, on the topic of women in farming, Tracy, you this morning you were having a, a conference call about the She Who Dares Farms conference, weren't you? That was run by NFU Cymru, is that right? It, yeah, it was a trial run this morning to see how next week would go. So it's on Tuesday the 21st at 3pm, yeah. So it was a kind of tester session to make sure we were all right. My biggest worry is I think, no, I don't look all right because I've got a major lockdown here going on here. So I might head for the box die at the weekend. I might be a redhead by Tuesday. So, yeah, that was a trial run. And then, yeah, this is the She Who Dares Farm conference that I got asked to speak at. And it was meant to be the beginning of July, but of course coronavirus knocked that on the head. So I was gutted I wasn't getting a road trip to Wales. But... um. Not to be beat, that the team have uh, brought it to, to us virtually. Yeah, 15 minutes just to talk about my story. And it's, it's still totally... I'm always really a bit gobsmacked that people want to kind of know about you. Do you know what I mean? I always find this like quite overwhelming that like people are actually wanting to listen to what we're doing because we're just doing what we do. You know, there's loads of fascinating stories out there and they're like, what you want me? Me? Are you sure? But I can't say no to things and I jumped at the chance to be asked and I totally love their merchandise. I just love that hashtag she who dares farms. I think that's just top class. But you all, you also founded the um is it the Dumfries and Galloway Dairy Women's Network, is that right? Yeah, that was basically born out of sheer frustration for me. I I, I actually used to be a housing officer, right? I worked off the farm. Once I when I got married, I was very adamant, like I very independent. Now I'm not going to work on the farm. I'm going to have my own income, and I'm not going to rely on you. And I and you know that was fine. And I worked off the farm, and I was a housing officer for many many years. And then kids came along, and then I just couldn't afford the childcare for what I was working for. And then Rowan's dairy started, and I was like, you know what? I need to come back to the farm. And, you know, a member of staff had left, the milk price had crashed. Um, and I just thought, do you know what? I'm going to come back to the farm because I had this total mum guilt that I was working. I wasn't there at the school pickup. And it landed on my kind of shoulders to, like, do all the childcare. And I just thought, do you know what? Come back to the farm and give it a try. And I was always quite, this is just going to be part-time, come back to the farm. But because I'd been away from the, like, not been away from the farm, I always helped out in the farm. I did night milkings and stuff, but I kind of, like, missed out on some of the practical stuff of the farming like and and when you work with your husband they don't always have time to like kind of explain things to you you know it can be quite hard that husband wife relationship working with each other 24 7 and I was like like I don't know how to do this and then like when he had time I was too busy thinking about what we're gonna have for tea is it gonna be chicken nuggets again because I can't believe we're gonna have to eat that again it's gonna be yellow food you know I was like my mind was another thing so I was like I need some practical skills, but like I couldn't go back to college and I couldn't find anywhere that was like saying, look, this is how, you know, who, you know, there was nothing Pacific Dairy. And then I knew there was like women in dairy, like national groups in England, but there was nothing in Scotland. I think my nearest one was like Cumbria. So I like, I can't travel all that way to like meetings there. And so I would just start speaking to some of my friends and I was like, what do you think of like just getting together and having like a practical session with a vet showing us some stuff like tube feeding and all this kind of practice and like god yeah yeah so I was like right we'll just get a kind of wee group going and then I had a kind of drunken conversation over gin with the NFU 
one at a high on show and I says, look, I'm thinking of doing this group, but I can need my hand held. I need somebody to kind of just give me a wee shove. And uh, they said, no, we'll help you. And I was like, cracking. And then it just kind of grew. And then, you know, as we think we had our like first meeting was just really informal in the pub, like saying, look, this is what I'm thinking. And I think I had about like 20 or 30 women turn up. And I was like, bloody hell, like, this is real. I'm going to have to, like, do something. So we said, look, this is what I'm thinking. And they were like, well, actually, I've just been handed all the books from mother-in-law to do the VAT return, and I've never done a VAT return. I could do with some help on this. And I was like, and the woman goes, oh, yeah, I could do with that as well. Could we have some on farm assurance? Because I've been told I have to do the farm assurance. And I was like, yeah, we can organise that. So with the NFU's connections, I could, like, tap into it. And, like, there's no money involved. Like, there's no membership fee because... I wasn't wanting to take on that responsibility. So it was really, really informal. And then we just had a meeting every month. And then for some reason, like the media, like the local paper grasped onto it and they thought this was like great, you know, this women, dairy and women. And it's like, well, it's nothing new. You know, women have been milking cows and farming for years. We're not, you know, this is not a political thing. This is not like women's lib going to burn our bras, look at us, give us respect. You know, it was just like, a little really informal group but it seemed to like kind of get quite a lot of media attention for some reason and I still don't understand why but it worked and it's it coronavirus hasn't tapped the meetings like knocked it on the head there's no meetings but to be fair it's quite nice having a wee break and everybody all the mums you know and women are kind of busy homeschooling so it works out fine and like I get asked a lot well how do you do it there's no funding but it's like you don't need funding because this, this is a terrible kind of stereotypical view that, you know, businesses or businesses came to me and said, look, you know, feed companies or, you know, other ones saying, look, we'll sponsor a meeting for you. There's this whole kind of like idea that like women have access to the checkbook, that kind of like idea. So like, these people kind of thought, oh, we'll sponsor a meeting. And I'm fine with that. So, yeah, we've had meetings sponsored about calf health, calf rearing, cow signal training, and they put a wee spread on for us. You know, we've had a visit, like, kind of walk and talks at farms. Kind of, like, we've actually had mental health training, you know, for suicide training. So it's it's been really, really varied. And so what I thought would be more practical stuff can kind of ended up being, like, bookkeeping. And, you know, the farm assurance stuff. And, yeah, and people saying, oh, how, why is it working? And I was like, I always say, look, you can throw as much money at something but without the right people with the passion to do it, it ain't going to work. And I just, it just seemed to have worked. And I think I've, there's about 80 people on my mailing list. And it's it's very varied. It's not just women in dairy because I kind of, you know, because everybody does a VAT return, you know, everybody kind of does farm assurance. So there's, there's like, you know, some beef women, there's some poultry women, you know, it's there's some sheep women, there's like, there's, you know, there's like... Not you don't have to be physically be farming. There's maybe like some young lassies who are interested in getting farming and want to come along. It it is really really open to all, and did kind of get a bit of negativity because, you know, there's like some women were saying, "What do we need this for?" You know, there's no need for this, and it probably did cause a bit of divide. This whole kind of women in ag movement, and but like I say, it 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 wasn't to take away from whatever women do now or what they have done it was just basically a kind of like network and support and yeah the pure support really informal because I always said if it got too formal and I had to form a committee I was out I'm not wanting any extra work. 
do you, I mean, do you think though that that agriculture traditionally has had a bit of a problem with with diversity? And I don't just mean in terms of gender. I mean in terms of there can be quite an entrenched view towards the op- top of the industry in terms of you know whether it's women, whether it's people who are younger, or even new ideas or whatever it might be. We, we do you think we've been a bit of a closed shop at times, or possibly? I think there's only a problem if you see it as a problem, isn't it? If you see it as a problem or make it a problem, there is. But I personally haven't seen it as a problem. I just see it that, you know, as a support network. Farming's hard enough as it is, right? We're our biggest critics on ourselves and others sometimes. So, do you know, if we can make farming more appealing and if the Women in Dairy Network make that look more appealing and a support network, roll with it. I sometimes think we make it worse than what it is. You know, I think it. I, mean, I speak to other women, and you know, in different regions across Scotland, and they're like, "Oh, I faced a lot of negativity and discrimination about being a woman on a committee," and I think it just depends where you are and what your beliefs and culture and what you're brought up with and what you want to do. You know, and I think it's probably more prominent because it's all on social media now. In terms of promoting a positive or a negative image, I would like to think it's promoting a positive. Yeah. Definitely, yeah, because, you know, my mum and great-granny and granny all did farming. They didn't put it on social media because it wasn't about. It's just that we're all now, let's take a selfie, and, you know, and it is. And But, but I think it's because we're proud of what we do. That's what it is, and, and I always think social media, yeah, can have a negative impact on some things, and if you put it out, you're going to have to face the criticism that comes with it. Because once it's out, you know, it's like toothpaste. You can't put it back in the tube once it's out. If it can help you know, make farming more appealing to others, go for it, because that's what we need. You know, we need the next generation coming through, whether they're male or female. It doesn't matter what you are. It's if you're right for the job. Yeah, and I think that's uh, that's a key point, isn't it, about whether it's agriculture or whatever industry you're in. It's uh, I always look upon it, it's about your ability. It's about your, you know, your your attitude and your aptitude. It's not about gender or race or sexuality or whatever. It's can you do the job to the the best of your ability and does that aid us as a business? And I think that's key, isn't it? And there's no doubt that rural areas and, and farming at times has probably been behind the curve. But I think the next for the next generation coming through, I I I don't think it matters. On the whole, I don't think it matters. No, and this whole thing about like getting women into the boardroom. That's great, right? I totally think that's great. But as a woman, I want to know I'm being invited to that boardroom for what I can bring to that table. I don't want to be there just because I'm a woman and I'm in farming. So we have to be very, very careful like how we approach this and how people see it. Um, that That's the problem. I was just going to ask then as well, obviously you were on the BBC's This Farming Life as well when we're talking about promoting the industry. I mean, can you tell me a bit about how, how that experience was and, and what the reaction was to it? I'll tell you now, I think I preferred watching other people than rather be watching myself in it. But yeah, that came about, we must have been put forward. I think our name was kind of floating around because we'd like diversified and um, we got approached by the producers to say, would you like to be involved in it? And um my sister-in-law got the call and she was like, you never guess, the BBC your phone. And I was like, oh, stop joking. Is this another one of your jokes? And she's like, no, really? This farming life? And I was like, oh, we watched that. That was a really good programme. Or they wanted to come down and see us. And I was like, 
right, I'll tell you now, I says, Stephen will not be up for this. This is my husband. I was like, he will not be, he's like totally antisocial sometimes. I was like, he'll not be up for it. And I says, look, if we're doing it, we all have to do it because we're a big team. I says, we all have to be involved. So I had to say to Stephen and Stephen's like, oh, yeah, I might be up for it. Like, I nearly fell off my chair. I was like, really? So the producers came down and spoke to us and uh, they were lovely and explained about what they were wanting. We were quite cautious, like, you know, what do you want from us and what control do we have? And then they kind of did like a kind of short like video of each and I, I remember being probably in quite a film mood that day I wasn't the best fetal and they said right Tracy what do you do and I think I said something like oh I'm just the gopher around here I wasn't like selling it that well and I think they had to go back to like the main head producers to kind of like sift through everybody and we didn't hear for ages and we're like look that's fine if it doesn't happen it doesn't happen it's no skin off our nose and then we got the phone call saying, oh, we totally loved you. We thought you were great. We thought your father-in-law was a legend. And I was like, well, that's one way of describing him, yeah. Then they said, right, we're going to start in a couple of weeks. And um, I think the first filming with us was um, a milk in here at Borland. And then I had the Southwest Dairy Show, which is a local show to us here in Castle Douglas. And I was secretary at the time. So they came and filmed it. But we hadn't, like, told anybody. But we kept it quite hush-hush because, like, General, like say oh by the way I'm going to be on the telly you kept kind of quiet and I, I can remember the BBC had like signs up around the kind of show ring saying look the BBC are filming here and if you don't want to be on please let us know on that and I remember some old boy come up saying yeah Tracy what, what, what are they filming and I was like well actually it's Channel 4 production about swingers and how it's rife in the rural community <laughs> a lot of people like say oh you know it's not quite imposing you know, the, you know, the BBC being down and filming. And, like, it wasn't. It was just, like, it was one one lassie with the camera and, like, a support, like another guy or a lassie, like, as a kind of runner. And, like, they would just follow you around the farm and, like, say, look, have you got anything big happening? And we're, like, oh, we're going to be doing this this week. It's going to be silage or I'm milking this weekend. So they would, like, just come down and, like, it was just like chatting to your city pal who didn't know anything about agriculture. So like you were like, well, I'm doing this. And like, yeah, there was like sometimes like, it was like, oh, we're going to move some beasts. And you're like, you were kind of just, ex- you know, like you expect people just to stand where you want, you know, they have to be mind readers when you work in farming, you know. Yeah. And they just yeah. didn't get it. And you're like, don't stand there. You're always like mic'd up as well. So it was, it was fine because you, you built quite a good relationship with them because there was only two of them. And they were quite good to say, look, if it's heat's getting too much and we want you stop filming, just tell us. And we're like, yeah, that's fine. But the worst bit was that, you know, once they'd filmed everything that was theirs, you had no control over it. So when it went to the editing room, you know, that was it. You didn't see it. You didn't get to see the footage before it went out. And being a bit of a control freak and sometimes not really engaging my brain before I speak, I started to kind of panic as it got nearer to being broadcast and I was like, what did I say then? Like, oh my God, is that going to come out? So I like really got quite kind of panicky and drunk a lot of gin as it was going out on the night and I actually sometimes couldn't watch some of it because I really felt like, oh, how embarrassing. Because you know like when you'd like leave a voicemail on somebody's voicemail and you heard your voice back and you're like, God, I sound like a right total numpty. It's just pure cringe factor. 
I kind of thought it would get easier as the episodes went out every week, but it didn't. So I've never, ever watched it again. I think it's repeated on BritBox, like in America and sometimes like, so we get like messages like from, oh, we're watching you on this family life, oh, we think you're great. And we're like, well, that was like three years ago, but brilliant. So it, it has quite a big following and it, 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 was, it was good fun at the time. And people say, oh, would you do it again? No, I think it was maybe best of being a one-hit wonder. You know, do do it once and um, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've got anything else to like. What else are they going to film? Because I kind of thought like you know once you've seen a cow getting milk, that's it. You know, but they did they they knew the BBC knew what would be a story. So you you know when they went to the editing room, they would come back and say they really like this, but can we just go and film this bit again? So like you kind of like were told what you wore that day. So they could come back and film you and say, can you just tell us a bit more about this? So you kind of knew where they were going with certain bits. So that there was some bits like, I was like, that didn't happen like that. But it's still surreal to think that like people watched us doing what we do because it still makes me think we're no different to anybody else. We're just, you know, farming. We're just a family farming. It's really funny though, isn't it? Because lots of people in agriculture watched it as well. And I must admit, I'm not one of these who particularly watches Countryfile on a Sunday night because I, what have I done all week? I've been reading about, you know, whatever, everything about agriculture. So I want to like, I want to switch my brain off and do something else. So, um, but it's amazing the following it, it had. And, and it also ties in to what you were saying before as well, though, about we are not always, as an industry, very good at selling ourselves. So I guess from that perspective, it was good to have somebody else involved that could could convey that message in in something that what that went down really well. Yeah, no, it was it was good that way because I mean, it, it just showed you know what we do day to day dairy and and you know farming and yeah the milk business. A lot of people say, oh, it must have really benefited Rowan's dairy. Did it increase sales? Well. Actually, no, it, it didn't, but it increased the profile of the business and the brand, and um, we didn't gain, you know, more customers. It probably benefited more the milkshake bar, <laughs> which was fine. It kind of um, really, I don't know, actually, I'll say it really did benefit the milkshake bar, you know, and I think that was really good because, to me, it kind of showed, you know, what you can do just by buying a three by three gazebo and a couple of pop-up tables and what you can do with milk. And, you know, it, I thought that was quite good. You know, me and my sister-in-law are probably quite a bad combination in some ways because we kind of like bounce ideas off. Because, you know, if you go to your husband and say, look, we're going to do a milkshake bar, what are you going to do that for? So, <laughs> so we're like, well, we'll just go and do it and see what happens. So it really kind of was the kind of catalyst to the milkshake bar. And I think the following year, we must have done about 30 odd events with that gazebo and it just took off and that grew legs <laughs> and then coronavirus came along and knocked that on the head <laughs> but that's been uh, it's been one of the interesting things about coronavirus and the lockdown isn't it that people have been treating them because they've not been able to eat out they've been treating themselves and if you look at the retail figures it's all it's ice cream and chocolate and cream and milk for baking it's just it's so we're kind of in that, we have that mentality that the whole world is out to get farming, whereas actually it's made people realise that the staples that a farm like yours produces is is in huge demand, absolutely huge demand. But we, we sometimes get misled by the, the negativity that can exist on social media. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, like, I still beggar's belief that, like, supermarkets had empty shelves of milk. But cows didn't stop producing the milk. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. we were still producing the milk. Because that's what we kept saying to our customers. We're not going to run out of milk. You know what I mean? We will get to you. We're, the cows are still milking. We are still working. You're not... You're, you'll get your milk. And they were, like, bulk buying, like, you know, all the milk, you know, like, really increasing their orders, like, buying all the yogurts and cream... It's like, we're not going to run out. Don't worry. You know, we're not going to stop. So I just, I just beggar's belief that, like, the supermarkets could portray that image that they would run out of milk. I know, it's crazy. Crazy. Rowan's Dairy, in the way, in the doorstep and the wholesale delivery, has been going for five years now. I mean, what's your what's your hope for the next five years of that and also the next five years of the, the Women in Farming group that you're running as well? Yeah, I mean, we're definitely not... A family to sit down and do nothing. We're always got a project going. So for Rowan's dairy, the next stage is actually bottling our like processing our own milk into glass bottles. Because at the moment we don't have the facility to do that. So we are then going to hopefully August, early August, we will have our own milk in our own glass bottles. So and that's what they're going to take. Because that there's a big demand for glass bottles down here in Dufferin and Galway. Everybody's wanting to reduce their plastic. So that's the next stage. Yeah, we'll just hopefully carry on, like you know, just keep going, keep growing it. We've not exhausted Dumfries and Gallery. There's areas we haven't got to yet. Yeah, just carry on. Our social media, putting the word out there. Hopefully, get the milkshake bar back on the road next year, bigger and better. Get back to all the local shows because that's the milkshake bar was a big part of our um, kind of marketing to meet our customers at all the local shows, and you know that was really a really good chance to speak to people saying oh well if you like our milkshakes why don't you sign up to our doorstep and get milk on your doorstep so it was like a, a way it was like we were the kind of face of it so yeah just keep growing isn't it just keep working away regards to the women in dairy I don't know is it going to run its course maybe it's not needed I don't know I'd like to think it's it's there when it's needed and we'll probably start doing some meetings but maybe not as many because like we are saying before do we still need these face-to-face meetings? Could meetings be done like this? I don't know. We'll need to see. We'll need to see what happens there. I'd like to think it's still there. You know, I've probably found since lockdown, I've probably had more kind of more inquired. I've been like a sign of signposting the day of it. We've been a signposting like for people looking for like work experience, young girls that have come out of college looking for some dairy experience or. A lot of people are doing their kind of dissertations and reports, research, their master's research. We've kind of been involved in like getting some of the members to speak about that. So it's not that it's stopped. <laughs> It'll come back. My husband tells me I take on too much and I probably do. So maybe that's something I'll maybe, maybe to see if someone else wants to kind of carry it on and take mm-hmm. it forward. I don't know. A huge thank you to Tracy for her time. As she says... Agriculture fundamentally needs the brightest and best, whatever their gender. But with such enthusiasm and passion for the industry, it's clear she's a driving force not only behind her own business, but the wider Women in Dairy Network. And that's it for this podcast. Please subscribe via your favourite podcast provider. But from me at Farmers Guardian and the team at CMEX, thank you for listening.